Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 6. We'll be in verse 6 today. I don't have any handouts today. The heading for this next section that we're going to look at, the way that it's been divided up, is Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And that's verses 6 through 11. So the last heading that we had was, at, of course, at the beginning of uh, chapter 5. When I get there. Peace with God, peace of God. And we talked about the different peace. You have justified peace, sanctified peace. Uh, we saw some benefits of what we have in Christ. We, we saw some of that. We saw uh, that we're justified by faith, uh, which we actually begin to see in chapter 4. That we have peace with God through, through Christ. In Christ, we have peace with God. We've been joined back together with God in Christ. Uh, that's what we see in verse 1. By whom, talking about Christ. Also, we have access by faith into this grace where we stand. So we have access to God in Christ. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. So we got a chance to see... How how we can glory in tribulations? How what the intended goal of tribulation is? It's not just to make us miserable. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a, there is a goal and an outcome that the Lord is trying to get to through tribulations. He uses those things in our lives, trials and tests, to help us to grow, uh, into to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ, to grow us in grace and knowledge of the Lord. To purify our faith. So tribulations are not, not they're not fun to go through. We're, we're all human beings. We can all honestly say that they're not fun. But there is a benefit of traveling through tribulations in the way that God has set it up. And if we learn how to walk and abide in Christ through the tribulation, that in the end, we will see the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Uh, developed. We'll see it in our own lives. Uh, and it's really encouraging. Uh, it's encouraging when you come out of a tribulation or a trial and you see I'm not the same. That's encouraging. It, sometimes it's a little bit easier to pick it up in other people if you're looking from the outside looking in. But when you travel through a tribulation that really was, I mean, you know, a heavy, I'm talking about a heavy personal tribulation. And when you come out and you can actually see, and I'm not saying it, uh, that's encouraging. Like I said, you, you don't always, you can't always pick up on that through, through life. You're going to go through some tough things and you feel like nothing's happening. <laughs> Just this is pointless or wasting our time. And somebody else from the outside may be able to look in and pick up real quick. Man, they, they're just growing. But you can't always see that. But there are times where uh, you go through something that's really hard for you personally. And when you come out, if you if you <laughs> drop away when you come out, you can see, man, God worked in me. And that's really encouraging to your faith. It's, it is encouraging, though. I, uh, I've experienced it in my life. 
so we learned that tribulation work patience, experience, experience hope. Uh, hope makes us not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, uh, which is given unto us. So we see it's a work of the Holy Spirit to, to make all of these things real to us. And then here we get in uh, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet for adventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commend his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Uh, verse 6, Dan. For when we were yet without strength. Pertains to the extremely negative scenario respecting the unbeliever. So we, before we got saved, as an, you know, this is, we're talking about as an unbeliever, it just totally negative. <laughs> this passage proclaims the doctrine of total depravity. The sinner does not know God, does not understand God, and does not understand anything about God. The sinner is constantly at war with God, whether he realizes it or not. In this state, the sinner is helpless, unable to reach God, actually little believing in God, if at all. He is so blinded spiritually that he has no idea as to how despicable his true state actually is. Whatever that state is, at least in his mind, he feels he has the necessary resources to correct it whether with education, money, ability, or even brute force. Before you got saved, as an unbeliever, we don't, we don't always realize how far the fall actually took us. The truth is, even though we'll never say it with our mouth, <laughs> the truth is that we think, uh, as, as far as... Uh, construction goes uh, we just think we need a few touch-ups <laughs> well now now wait a minute we don't need to level the house you know, you know. <laughs> we don't need that we just got a few rotten boards here and there that need to be replaced we just need we just need a little construction we need some remodeling yeah we the fall took us so far that it, we uh, remodeling the house won't do anything. Yeah. It has to be totally torn down completely mm -hmm. and rebuilt. That's why Christ, God doesn't rehabilitate the old man. He has to kill the old man. And in, that's what takes place in Christ. We're crucified with Christ. In him, the old man is dead because God can't rehabilitate the old man. The, the idea of doing that would be like God taking a house that's totally condemned and, and the foundation on up is just bad. 
and saying, oh, well, we'll just remodel it. It, it's, it won't matter. You can remodel the whole house, but if the foundation's bad, it's not going to stand. That's the idea. The, the, the unbeliever, the truth is, we're so we're far worse off than what we really think. Um, like I said, we just think, well, it's just a few things here. I, you know, okay, I'll struggle with anger. I might have a bad temper. It's, but I'm not, I'm not that bad. <laughs> and we say that. I'm not that bad. <laughs> but if you really look at Scripture, what Scripture bears out, it bears out that, that we, we are totally depraved as unbelievers that there's no, there's no, there's no saving the original creation. There has to be a new. That's why we have to be born again. You can't, there's no saving the original creation. Sin, the fall has tainted it too much. It's gone too far. It can't be saved. The old creation, the original, who we are in Adam has to be done away with. Who we are in Christ is the, is the answer. We're born again. Because, like I said, God can't rehabilitate the old man. So, the fall has taken us way farther than we think. Um, our, one of my professors said it one time, and uh, it was actually in a song I heard him say. He said, you know, sometimes the unbeliever doesn't realize how lost they really are. And then, but you know, of course what he said, he said a lot of times though, even us who are saved, we don't realize how blessed yeah. we really are. If you really see how far you've fallen, right. then you begin to see how blessed you are right. to have your position that you have in Christ. Amen. Because they're so far apart. And we don't deserve it. It is by His grace that we are what we are in Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, it, the, the phrase, or it's, it's a, to us it's a phrase, that without strength, uh, in the Greek it's just one word. Uh, it's A-S-T-H-E-N-E-S. -E -E like I said, you don't have to try to write this down. I'm going to have it typed up for the next class. Uh, without strength in the Greek is A-S-T-H-E-N-E-S. -E -E and it means feeble, impotent, sick, weak, and refers to such in the spiritual sense. So we, we were without strength when we were unbelievers. We were uh, feeble, impotent, sick, weak, and it's talking about in a spiritual sense. We were, Scripture says that we're dead in sins and trespasses. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure you can get much weaker than dead. That seems to be pretty weak, and that's what it bears out. Before we got saved, we were dead, spiritually dead. You couldn't feel God. You couldn't sense Him. The, the only sense that you had of right and wrong was just simply. Uh, your conscience, which is not reliable, we talked about that early on in Romans, it's not reliable, it's not a reliable source because it can be seared. 
The first time, you know, you go, you, if you were at the store, you, you stole a piece of candy from the store. Well, the first time you felt so bad. Yeah. <laughs> the second time it was a little bit easier to steal it, and then you could actually eat it. The first time you couldn't eat it, you felt so sick. Our, one of my professors, he told that story that he, when he was a kid, he stole like a Tootsie Roll or something. I don't even remember what it was from the store. And he felt so bad he didn't even eat it. He just threw it because his conscience, mm-hmm. his conscience was eating at him. Because he he's not saved. So it's, there's not, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's none of that. It was just his conscience. But then he said, so at that, he didn't even, he couldn't even eat the Tootsie Roll. He felt so bad. But then the next time, you know, his group, his friends, you know, egg him on and he takes it. And he said, that time I could eat the Tootsie Roll. What happened? His conscience was seared. The first time, boy, he felt really bad. Second time, though, his conscience was seared. And now there wasn't that. There was nothing. There's no force that that said, hey, that's not right. That's why our conscience is not a reliable source. So we're dead in sins and trespasses. Before we get saved, we're spiritually dead. We're not alive. God had to reach man, for man had no way to reach God. The only way this spiritual death can be awakened is for the word of God to be ministered unto the sinner with the Holy Spirit energizing that word which seizes upon the heart of the person, placing him under conviction. For the first time, he then begins to realize his undone spiritual state. One of the, if, if, if I was going to, me and my dad have talked about this before, if I was going to preach to a bunch of unbelievers that I knew they're not, they're not saved, I'm not talking about going to a church and minister. Talking about preaching to a bunch of unbelievers, I would preach a, a strong law message because law reveals right and wrong, and it's through law that conviction is going to come. The Holy Spirit is going to convict you. That's what the Ten Commandments: "Thou shalt not kill." Okay, so if you kill, no good, and if you don't, you're okay. Yeah. So that's the, I would preach law very heavy. And in doing that, the Holy Spirit would move upon their hearts to convict them. Whether they accept or not, is that's between them and the Lord. But the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would be in action. It's guaranteed. That's what scripture bears out. And then I present Christ as the answer. To be saved. Because if you broke the law. You're worthy of. Death. But Christ is the answer. To be saved from that penalty. So now I've. Given law. Which brings the conviction. And then give Christ. As the answer. Now whether they accept or reject. That's on them. That's why. I can preach, if, if I were to, in, in service this morning, if I would have preached a law message, there would be a response. There, there, would, be, there would be a response to an altar call. If I preached about uh, 
we need to we need we need to pray. Uh, you know, two hours a day. We need to pray two hours a day. Well, if you don't have a good prayer life, what do you feel? Convicted. And in doing that, the idea of what my dad talked about this morning, I've got to do better. I've got, I've got to do, I've got to do better. Because, and you are feeling something. But it's conviction, and I never give you, I never give you Christ at all. But yet there will be an answer to an altar call. I know it's kind of, when you run it through your mind, you think, well, okay, if there's an altar call, then the Spirit of God moves. But I'll tell you the truth, I would run to the altar if someone breathed this up. My prayer life is not where I want it to be. But I'm trying to do it all in my own strength at that point. I would be totally in my own strength. And it would be just like what my dad said this morning. Monday morning, man, I'd be doing pretty good. Monday morning, two hours of prayer. Boy, I'd be sticking to that. And maybe even Tuesday and Wednesday, maybe. And maybe even that week. But eventually, I'd fail at that. And when I fail, I feel convicted all over again. And that is just miserable. So conviction is a part. It is a part of the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's only, it's only a partial part. Conviction without the answer, without Christ, is miserable. It leaves you helpless. God, that's not God's intention. If God intended... For us to be hopeless and helpless, then he never would have sent his son. He just would have gave you the law, and then we all be condemned to hell if we can't keep it. Yes. So that's when it becomes condemnation instead of conviction. Right. Yes, exactly. The Holy Spirit never convicts us of doing wrong without showing us the answer. That's the difference between the Holy Spirit and Satan. Satan loves to condemn us as Christians. And he can use something like that. We always, I feel like, don't want to say, you know, they were being used by Satan because that doesn't mean that all of a sudden they were, you know, satisfied <laughs> Satan. But even Jesus said that to Peter, you know, because the devil can use something that someone doesn't mean is bad. Yeah. To make that person feel like dirt, but never give them an answer. And they just go away upset and it's. They're condemned. Like conviction never works like that. Right. Did everybody hear what Brittany said? It would turn into condemnation. Yeah. Which we're not there yet, but Romans chapter 8 is tears that apart. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There's always going to be an answer in Christ. Yeah, I'm sorry. The Holy Spirit's always going to give you an answer, and it's Christ. Right. If there's no answer and it's just law, then it's just condemnation. You're just heaping condemnation. And it's no different than what the Pharisees did to Israel, to all the Israelites. That's what you, you, you put all these weights on the people, and you yourself don't even lift a pinky to help them. 
They were putting all the burdens on the people. Do, 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 do. And the truth is that even the Pharisees couldn't even do it all. Yeah. But yet, do, do, do. And they never, there was never nothing to help. God says do, and then he gives the help to do. Right. And it's, G, it's his grace, it's Jesus. Right. So, we're without strength. And then this shows how, we're going to navigate that back and see. Because earlier in, in 5, in verse 5, hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. And then in verse 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Those those verses they'll fit together. <clears throat> when we were without strength totally, that's when God sent his son to die for us. So Dad, read the In due time Christ died for the ungodly. Declares the nature of God's love. Man can sacrifice himself when he thinks he has an adequate motive, as is evidenced in war. But the unique character of God's love is displayed in the fact that Christ died for men when there was no motive to move him to do so. But every reason to the contrary, for man is morally impotent and actively ungodly, sinful, and hostile. So, God... Christ died for us, and there we, we had no merit whatsoever for Him to do so. We were we were totally opposite of Him at that moment, as unbelievers. We're totally opposite from God, the characteristic of God. But yet, He sent Christ to die for us. Christ came and died for us when we were in that state. That is. Love that no man, really no man has. That's what he's talking about. A man, a man will give his life for something that he believes in. Like somebody will give their life, they'll sacrifice himself in war for a cause that they take as their own. But yet Christ died for us. And that wasn't the case. I mean, we were absolute enemies. Christ died for his enemies. And that was us. We were his enemy, and he gave his life for us. No non-Christian would lay down his life for a Nero or a Hitler. But Christ did that exact thing. We were that. As far as God goes, we were no different. We were absolute wicked enemies of God, and yet he died for us. It would be as if we died for Hitler, that he might be saved. We don't have, we, don't, we can't do that, but kind of get the idea. Christ died for the temporal and eternal welfare. welfare. <laughs> 
of men who hated him. Indeed, in the entirety of this scripture, the context clearly indicates that substitution is meant. Our Lord died instead of us, taking our penalty on behalf of us, and that his death was in our interest. That's what we see in uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. That at the end of all of that, we see Abraham says, Jehovah Jireh, a name of God is revealed. After Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And there is a lot, there's, there's absolutely, of course, the idea in laying the laying your God's giving you a promise and lay it on the altar. I'm not saying that that doesn't exist there, but if you really keep it into the straight context of what the scripture is, then the name that Abraham gives, or the name that's given for God there, has nothing to do with that. The name is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah's provision shall be seen. And remember, we, we kind of talked about it before, but you had to offer a sacrifice. God told Abraham, offer Isaac. He goes up and he's going to sacrifice Isaac and God stops him. And behold, there's a, a ram caught in the thicket. So just a little ways off, an animal fit for sacrifice was caught right there. Abraham didn't have to work for it. He didn't have to go find it. It was brought right to him. And then that lamb, ram, took the place of Isaac on the altar. The cross is that altar. And we are Isaac. We, we should have died on the cross. God, Jesus is not the one that sinned. We did. The cross belonged to us. But then Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah's provision shall be seen. And he provided a lamb that took my place on the cross. He was my substitute. Praise God. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm not, I'm not really interested in dying on the cross. So praise God. But it's more than just dying on the cross. He took the penalty, the curse, and the death that was meant for me because of my sin. In order that I might have his life, his righteousness, his position... The great exchange. Yeah. That's one heck of a trade-off. <laughs> yeah. You're going to take all of my sin, my shame, my guilt, my death, my penalty, and you're going to give me your position, your righteousness, your relationship with the Father, I get all of that and much, much more. His inheritance, 
That's, gra that's grace. And you didn't do anything to earn it. Jehovah Jireh. He provided a lamb for each, for you. Take individually, you. Jesus was provided for you. The phrase due time in the Greek is K-A-I-R-O-S. K-A-I-R-O-S. It means a strategic time, a time determined by a set of circumstances which make that particular point of time part of the efficient working of an action or set of actions. The promise of the coming Redeemer was given immediately after the fall of man in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That's when the promise was given. Think about that. The promise of the coming Redeemer was given in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. But yet, Jesus came four, some 4,000 years later. It's 4,000 years between the giving and the promise that a Redeemer's coming to the Redeemer actually coming. The words due time teach us that there was a specific time ordered by events in which this great plan of redemption could be carried out. There was a due time that God had for the Redeemer to show up. In due time. Anything that God has for you in your life Guess what word you can add right there? Due time. <laughs> and it's not your time. His time. Due time. If God has given you a promise, in due time, it's going to come to pass. In, in His time. My, my, my wife did not come in my time. <laughs> she didn't come in my time. Good thing I would have just totally ruined it, mess it all. In God's time, He brought us together, and it was it didn't line up with Tanner's time. I'll say that. So everything in your life, due time, everything, every victory, due time. Any promise, say, I, I don't know what God's promised you personally. But in due time, just like in due time, the Redeemer entered into the world, even though there was 4,000 years or so between the giving of the promise and the promise actually arriving. Uh, verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Paul uses the word righteous not in the usual New Testament sense, but in its normal meaning. A type of human goodness, at least as the word as the world describes such. Paul is saying that a few might die for such a man. Uh, next one. 
Yet, preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Puts the situation on a slightly higher plane. So it's, it's just righteous man, and then so you know, even for that, some would die. But basically, the idea would be someone that just dedicated their life to do a bunch of good things for people. Someone would die for that person. Uh, okay, verse eight. But God commends his love towards us. Christ dying for the ungodly is proof of love immeasurably beyond what is common among men. Uh, the word commendeth in the Greek is S-U-N-I-S-T-E-M-I. S-U-N-I-S-T-E-M-I. And it means to put together by combining or comparing, hence to show, prove, or establish uh, an exhibit. So Calvary, Calvary ever remains at the forefront of God's thoughts toward man, even grossly wicked, ungodly, sinful man. Whatever it is that men think of God, they only have to look to Calvary to know who and what God really is, and more particularly, who and what he is toward them. There is no way that his love could be better or more visibly displayed than by the single act of so long ago. If you want to know how much God loves you, it's not about what blessings you get in this life. If you really want to know the love of God for you, there's nowhere else to look but Calvary to find that out. That's right. And as you look there, the Holy Spirit will make it so real to your heart and life, you won't even need to have any other answer. There was a time in my life through, through the uh, season of God bringing a wife in my life that didn't line up with my season. <laughs> I, I seriously questioned through that trial I questioned God's love for me because it hurt. It was painful. I had a desire and I felt like God could meet it and wasn't meeting it. I had some messed up thinking. Stinking thing. And I genuinely, I genuinely questioned whether God even loved me because I had the wrong, I'm focused on the wrong thing. My object of faith for God's love was if he blessed me with a wife. If he blessed me with a wife, then I'll know God loves me. I think I even said that to my dad. <laughs> I was an idiot. <laughs> but when you're, when you're in that olive press and you're going through it, man, you, you, you don't think right. So, you know, I laugh about it now, but in that moment, it was, re it was real life to me. And it was a crushing weight that God was using it to purify my faith. And Satan was right alongside in that same trial to say, God doesn't love me. If God really loved you, right. he would give you a wife. But because no wife, he's not giving you a wife, then he obviously doesn't love you. And then it gets even worse when you see other people getting married. <laughs> well, God loves you. 
God loves them. Now I look back, I'm like, man, my poor wife, man, she got the, she got a bad deal here. I mean, God, God himself is like, this is your husband. Like, man, poor thing, God does not love you. <laughs> he stuck you with me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I had the wrong, I had the wrong object to faith for God's love. My, God's, I, I felt like God's love for me was dictated upon what he did for me. That's dangerous. God, I didn't see it. God saw that. And that's bondage. And he knew it. And it's sin. Because it's also idolatry. Because a wife was my God. Man, if I can have that, if I can get to that. And it took that trial and all of that pain for me to finally see it. Because sin unconfessed is unforgiven. Right. So I had to first see, see, I had to personally see it. Nobody else could tell my dad could tell me all he wanted. It's on that's idolatry. I, I had to see it for myself. And I saw it through the trial. And then I confessed. And then it was forgiven as though, like I said, as though it never existed. Yeah. Praise God. And then I began to learn through the message of the cross, the correct object of faith. Because I had the wrong object of faith, the enemy had free course with me. Yeah. And there was no defense. Like, well, God doesn't love you. If he loved you, he'd give you this. He would do this for you. And I just, I just believed it, took it on in because I, had, I had, there was no anchor for me to look at. Yeah. And then Calvary. And then when I began to have my object of faith as Calvary, you know what the very first thing that God revealed to me was. Because I needed it the most, because through the trial, I genuinely thought God hated me. Because the enemy had just blah 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 blah, blah. and I couldn't, I, could, I had no defense against the fiery darts. And I, I wish I could, I can't even really express, it tore me down. When I began to look and learn about the cross, and I began to focus there with my faith, not what God did for me or didn't do for me. Very first thing that God revealed to my heart was his love for me. And it was the healing that I needed more than anything else. I didn't need a wife. <laughs> I needed the love of God. I, re I, was I was really crying out to know that God loved me. Right. Right. But because I'm so, we're so mixed up on the inside, we don't even know what we really need. <laughs> but he, he, he knows. Brother Swaggart sang a song that 
to this day, this is the first time I ever heard the song. To this day, it's probably one of my favorites. One of my most favorite songs I've ever heard. He looked beyond my faults. And he saw my knee. He loved you in spite of yourself. He did. Yeah. You did <laughs> I was the problem. <laughs> and he still loved me. Yes. He, if you put that out there in front of yourself, that helps me through every day. You know, regardless of what I do or what I say, I can be forgiven, but he loves me as much as he loves anybody else. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And the cross is is the, I mean, you want to know the love of God, man, you throw that dart right at Calvary, and you're going to hit it every time. Boom. Boom. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit is going to make that real to your heart and life. Yeah. You said something just a while ago. I'm sorry, did I interrupt? No. process? Okay. You said something a while ago that just struck something you were looking what you really needed was your really, your heart's cry, even though you didn't recognize it at the time, was to know the love of God in your life. You were just taking a desire that you had and said, okay, I I know that he loves me if he gives me this. Right. But what you were really looking for was the love of God. So if God works in our way of thinking and gives us what we want to show us that he loves us sometimes. We make those same mistakes as human beings with other human beings, <laughs> like our children. <laughs> Little children, yeah, those are slips. <laughs> Here's the problem with that. If God would have done that, okay, so I'm going to show you I love you, I'm going to give you a wife. Well, because you still don't have the right foundation yeah. in your life. Now, what you're looking for is, once you got the wife, is a perfect wife. Yeah. A perfect marriage. Yeah. Uh, and so if it, when, things, when, things, <laughs> when things go wrong and that they don't all go right and it appears, you're looking out and it appears that other people's marriages seem to be going better than yours. And you say, God, God doesn't love me as much as he loves them. Yeah. He loves me enough to give me a wife, but, uh, you know. And then there's a struggle because I'm depending, well, it goes back to object of faith, yeah. I'm looking to that as an yes. object of faith. Right. It's not fair, first of all, it's not fair to her. It's not fair to the wife because now she has to be, she has to, in a sense, be God to you. Yeah. yeah. We both know I cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the wife? Yeah. She's the wife. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Otherwise, that'd be weird, right? Yeah. Why isn't she here? She's not here because he said he didn't need her. But you take that same, you're, you're using that one example, but you take that and apply that to, oh, yeah, we all have a tendency yeah. at sometimes in our life to see that. And, but when we understand the love of God through the person of Christ and, and, and what he did for us, then we, that gives us a foundation that cannot, that cannot be destroyed 
by circumstances or by the accusation of the enemy, once we know and understand that that's where it comes from, it's an anchor for our faith that cannot be changed. That's that's, that's why the the solid rock, I mean, it's building your house on a firm foundation as Mm -hmm. you're saying. If you build it on sand, when the storm comes, the rains fall, it, the house won't stand on a good foundation. Right. When the storms come and beat down, it'll still stand. Yeah. This is why we can boldly claim that all of the answers are in the cross. That's right. right. All of the answers are in the cross. We, we look to God for financial need when we're struggling, for physical, you know, when, when we need healing. But we tend to look at the issue rather than the finished Product, right. You know, yeah, we do. We have a really bad habit yeah, of yes. focusing in on the problem. Yes. And when you do that, I, I, and a good, ex- I'll give you an example in my life. Whenever I felt like I was in prayer one day, minding my own business, not praying. You know how that works for me. I was in prayer one day, just lost, just lost in the Lord. I, I, I was just lost in the Lord. And I felt like the Lord said, it's time to go home. And I was at Bible college in Baton It's time to go home. I wasn't even praying about that. It wasn't even, it wasn't even in my brain. Actually, to me, it was never going to happen. <laughs> there was nothing at home for me. So, and then the Lord, boom. Well, I had a whole semester to go through still. Because I knew that God's not going to call me away from Bible college in the middle of the semester. That doesn't make sense. So, okay, I'm just going to keep it before the Lord for a whole, for the semester. If it changes, then I know, okay. But if it doesn't, then, okay, that must be the Lord. Well, semester's like three or four months. Three or four months, I'm going to keep, Lord, am I supposed to go home before the Lord? And what I found was every time I started focusing on, Lord, am I going to go home? At the end of this semester, I would get so frustrated because I felt like I don't have a clear answer. I, it would just cause frustration, turmoil. But what was that? I was so honed in and focused on, yeah. give me that answer, Lord. Yeah. That even if he did, I couldn't even hear it. Yeah. And I got a chance to experience that. I, okay. I'm getting so frustrated over whether I'm going home at the end of this semester and this is only day three. <laughs> it's called you. I'm not ready this whole semester. Like this. And now I look back at the Lord, that's exactly what the Lord wanted to happen. He, he allowed that to happen knowing how I would handle it. I would get so focused on is he going to give me the answer about going home or not. Because I need to know right now. <laughs> and when he didn't give it to me in a clear way that I thought he should, you know, like angel from heaven or something. Because <laughs> that's what we really we all said. That's what we really want. I, I want him to, I want to know for sure, man. I want God to audibly speak to me. Son, I did say it's time to go home. <laughs> that's really what I want. But that didn't happen. So every time, every time, but it taught me. 
If I'm ke even keeping something before the Lord in prayer, if I move my focus yes. to yes. Him giving me the answer, mm -hmm. I start I, I start getting frustrated, mm -hmm. and the next thing I, I start to see is going. We talk about going through the sanctification process. I start going backwards. Yeah, yeah. My my sanctification starts to deteriorate. Now all of a sudden, it's a little harder to. Because mainly because I'm not getting the answer that I need. So God's obviously just not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I start, I'm, now I'm starting to struggle with other things. That at one time I felt like God had given me victory over. Because my, my faith has moved from what I have in Christ to I need this answer. And it, 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 it stole my peace, my joy. That's not God. Amen. It didn't mean that he didn't speak and say it's time to go home. That's right. He did say that. He did say that. But I got so fixed on that yeah. that I lost sight of Christ. He lost it in his time. And, it, and due time. <laughs> and I, I lost my joy. My joy was stolen. My peace. All of these things. That's the enemy. Yeah. Like that. Changing your object of faith. Yeah. Boom. Now I'm focused on what it is. God, I need the answer. And it causes just destruction to start to happen. You if, start going back. If you just wait, <laughs> it'll happen. Right. Not supposed to. If, if it's his will, don't worry. He don't need your help to make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if you stay out of the way and just let him do it, and you just trust him. He does it for me this it's so smooth. Yeah. It's, so, it's so smooth and it just it just beep. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. And then you're just like well, when you start to help it all falls apart. Yeah, you're right. Oh yeah. Every every time too. Not just some always give you what you need, but in his time. Right, right. I'll just read the whole verse eight. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Points to the fact that Jesus died for those who are, who are at enmity with him and who bitterly hate him. So I just want to make sure that we finish uh, verse 8. We won't, we're not going to get into anything else uh, tonight. Uh, he has a, a timing and a season for everything. Um, Brittany actually told me that one time. Uh, Brittany is one of my best friends. We were in Bible college together. And I remember talking to her about and Brittany said, you know what? He has that for you, but it's in his time, not yours. And at that she moment, rise. she did roll her eyes. <laughs> at that moment, though, at that moment, I ain't gonna lie. On the inside, I was like, you little. <laughs> I didn't want really to hear that. How dare you give him a How dare you tell me the truth, Brittany, and care about me? <laughs> But she she told me the truth, and it didn't sit well with my flesh. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the truth, and I'm thankful for that. And that's a true friend. Yeah. And what really, what really? But you know, this also goes to show is this is why people can be so offended. Um, because the focus is not really on the Lord. It's yeah. on right. yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, if you, if if that if your focus is on other things, you will definitely. Yeah.
you would get offended so fast. Let somebody say something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And by the church not not preaching the the true gospel, which is the message of the cross, you know what I'm saying? By people not teaching that, we got spirit of offenses falling everywhere. Oh, yeah. But that is. That's the I mean, spirit for religion, right? It really yeah. Spirit. They'll call they'll call splits in the body of Christ. Oh yeah. I, I, if if we base it off of a, a scriptural thing, yeah. Paul Paul expresses that the body of Christ is like a literal body. Yes. Yeah. Fit together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The spirit. If we don't we don't always recognize it and everything. The spirit of offense is like ripping an arm off yeah. of yes. a body. Yeah. The body of Christ separating it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but in the Old Testament, there was a, a, a Levite, a Levitical priest. He went to go get a concubine, which he shouldn't have been doing anyway, but he went and got a concubine. And then on his way back, he stayed somewhere. Some people came. The concubine was raped. And then she died. What that Levitical priest did was he then cut up her body. Yes. And sent a body part to each one of the 12 tribes. I'm telling you that the spirit of offense is no different than that. The problem is, is doing it to the body of Christ. That's a lot bigger, I mean, I said a lot bigger deal. It's a serious problem. And we don't see it. We don't see the magnitude of it. But that, that, I I think more just so for the picture. That offenses in the body of Christ is like that. That's what it calls us. And if you rip if you rip a body apart, you know what follows? Death. Death, exactly. The wages of sin. The spirit of offense is that strong. It's not it's not like a little thing like that. It's okay. Well, you know what? We'll just put up with it. Then you then you're allowing death into the camp, because we are the body of Christ, and not, not just here in this room. I'm talking about all across the world. Believers as a whole make up the body of Christ. When there is dissension. Then it rips apart the body of Christ. Uh, 